All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. I am ready, Tim. Always ready. Don't you worry about me. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Thanks for joining us. Well, Tim, it happened again. It happened again. We didn't think it was going to happen. You know, people, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing and expecting different results. And the Edmonton Oilers, three straight series, Tim. I don't know why they can't get out to a better start when they start these series. Round one versus the LA Kings, they lose four to one. Yeah, that's okay. Round two versus the Calgary Flames, they lose nine to six in game one. Round three, Western Conference Finals, game one. What a game. It it was almost a cookie cutter, just same game as Calgary was two weeks ago. Same premise, same scores, same situations. And sadly enough for the Edmonton Oilers, the same outcome. But there was, I, th- I think there was a lot more into it than this. I, th- I think the Oilers are in for a, a tougher series this time around than versus the Calgary Flames. So let's dig into it, Tim. What did you think? First five minutes, zero zero, nothing going on. What were you, what were you, what were you thinking the series was going to be? Uh, I knew that wouldn't last. I mean, I, I didn't expect fourteen goals, but you could see the chances happening. And once the goals started coming, and they didn't stop. So as a, as a hockey fan, it was a lot of fun to watch last night. And I don't want to say I told you so, but I did. And maybe it wasn't a bold prediction, but I said every game of the series, it's going to be 6-5, 7-4, 5-2. And they did not disappoint. 8-6, to six, Oilers, Avs. It was a barn burner of a game. And there are a lot of things that I noticed. There are a lot of things that I want to talk about, but let's just go goal by goal, period by period. But it, it was such a game of ebb and flow. There was lots of just game-changing, momentum-changing things. And we'll just start. Kane gets them on the board first with a little breakaway pass. Good goal by Edmonton. Defensive breakdown by Colorado. Darcy Kemper did not look good. And and we'll just get him out of the way. He left after the first period with an upper body injury. He is still day-to-day. We have no updates on him. But even in his brief time in net, and I even said this, Tim, last show, I said we will see multiple goaltender changes in this series. Goalies will be pulled. Goalies will be replaced. And lo and behold, we got to see all four of them first game. It was true. It was terrific. I didn't even know Kemper was gone. 
until like five minutes after he got pulled. And I was like, is that Kemper's gone? Is that Frank, Frank or whatever his name is? French Francois, dark Frank, Frankie Francophone. And I was like, yeah, he's not. And I was like, they, they have different catching hands. I don't know how I didn't catch that, but anyways, Kane gets him on the board. And this is a thing. This is a theme from the Colorado avalanche. Obviously in the first round, they never, I didn't think they trailed once that whole, that whole series in the first round. In the second series, they didn't trail much, but when they did, they responded well. This is something for me that's a sign of a good team. And Colorado showed me a lot this game. Every time Edmonton scored, Colorado responded right back. And I'm not talking two minutes, three minutes, four minutes. I'm talking seconds after an Edmonton goal. Colorado right back up the ice, right back in Edmonton zone, tying the game, getting the lead. Evander Kane scores at 504. JT Comfort scores at 540 to take to just take the momentum out of the Edmonton Oilers. Zach Hyman scores at 1937, tie the game up at the end of the third period. Kale McCarr scores nine seconds later at 1946. Warren Fogle scores at 259 of the second period. Rantanen scores at 438. So these are short turnarounds where Colorado is sucking the life from the Edmonton Oilers. And you can watch whenever Colorado scored after an Edmonton goal, they would pan over to the Edmonton bench and the life would just be drained out of everybody on that bench. It's like, we're in it. We're back in this game. We tied it up. It's one, one, it's two, two. It's, it's now four, three. We're going to come back. We got this game. No, we don't. Colorado has just taken momentum back. They're the Colorado avalanche. This, we're going to chase this game, this whole series. And you could see it in their faces. It, it was demoralizing. And Colorado did a great job of that. So anyways, Kane gets his first goal. We already talked about Darcy Kemper. Colorado answers right back. Two-on-one, JT Comfer buries his goal. Second goal, boy, oh boy, Nathan McKinnon. That like, I don't know what more you can say about this guy. Coming into the series, the obvious comparisons, who's going to be better, Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid? Connor McDavid, Nathan McKinnon, both number one overall picks. Both players have been somewhat, you know, not living up to their expectations playoff-wise. They haven't taken their team to the promised land. Which player is going to take hold of this series? McKinnon downplayed it saying, oh, McDavid's better, McDavid's better, McDavid's better. I'm telling you what, after game one, I don't know. They, that That is a toss-up because they both played well, and McKinnon showed his, his total skill set in this goal. Patience in the neutral zone goes from McCarr to Taves. Taves waits for the play to develop. McKinnon hits the hole, goes behind Dreinsidel. Nurse is flat-footed, burns around Nurse, who is not a slow defenseman, but he's not a fast defenseman. He's a mobile defenseman, burns around him, I don't know what Mike Smith is doing. A half poke check, a half butterfly opens it up. McKinnon goes five hole, two to one avalanche. And on we are Edmonton Oilers. Sorry. I'm just like over, overwhelmed here. Oilers answer Zach Hyman garbage goal. In my opinion, you see this second goal, Tim, for the Oilers. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, that's, that's his goal. That's his kind of goal there. He's a, he's got a six goal, six game goal streak going right now. So he's, he knows how to bury him. He does. In my opinion, it's a garbage goal. We're going to the end of the first. This is my thoughts. First period's over. Colorado dominated the first. Shots, hits, time of possession, grade A chances, everything. Colorado with dominating this first period. Edmonton somehow cobbles together two goals. They're going into the intermission thinking, you know, we're in a good spot. We're not playing our best hockey. We're tied 2-2. We have a chance at this series. No, 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 no. 
And this is the first turning point of this series. Kale McCarr answers right back. A little bit of a turnover. Burakovsky's coming out of the zone. McCarr picks up the puck, lasers it by Smith. A bad goal. Right, Tim? He's got to make that save. He's top of the circle. You have to make the save. Yeah, Smith didn't even touch it. Just, I mean, it was a laser shot by McCarr, and he's obviously super skilled, but that's a goal you want to save. I actually I missed it live because it was like 30 seconds left. I'm kind of watching it while I'm cleaning or something, and I, I just didn't – I turned my back. I shouldn't have, and then all of a sudden it's a 3-2 game. I thought the period was over, and it seemed like so did the other guys. I think this is going to be a case of this series where you do not want to leave a screen because the second you turn around, there's going to be a goal. There's just goals all over the place. Now let's go back to the McCar goal. Controversy. Controversy. You see when he crosses the blue line, Yamamoto's on the bench. He raises his hand right away. It's like offside. Challenge it. Offside. Clear as day. Burkowski's coming out of the zone. McCar's coming into the zone. Burkowski doesn't really reach his toe out to get to the blue line. He's kind of turning to enter the zone again. So he's not really making a huge effort to get out of the zone that quickly. All that aside, McCar goes in, score, Woodcroft right away. Challenges it right away. No hesitation. And this is a neat stat I just learned. Jay Woodcroft, the first video coach in NHL history to now coach a playoff game as a head coach. So a good progression. He's like the the pinnacle of a video coach. He worked his way up, you know, video coach, assistant coach, head coach in the AHL, now head coach in the NHL. Very good story, worked his way through the whole system. That being said, he knows how to challenge a player. He knows what the the video people look for. He he wins most of his challenges. He challenges it right away, no hesitation. The Avs broadcast said it's no goal. I hate to say it. The goal is going to be turned back, barring any miracle. Ref goes to the center ice, gives this dramatic, dramatic reading. Onside, goal counts, 3-2 avalanche. The big thing is the Oilers go on the PK. And it's just a double whammy. It should have been an offside call. It should have been five on five. We should have went to the intermission going 2-2. Oilers feeling good about themselves. We're not. They're down three to two. Now they're on the penalty kill and you're facing the best power play in the game right now. They come out of the second period intermission avalanche score four to two. We're on our heels. Abs are feeling good. Is that not like a game changer? What did you think of that play, Tim? Did you think it was onside or offside? We were talking during the, while it was happening. That's how good of friends we are. We talk all the time. What did you think of that? Yeah. The, the fact that they reviewed it and then still, didn't call it offsides makes me think that I don't know the rules. It makes me think that <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think, okay, there's something about I don't understand that I'm missing. Like I he had the puck, he had possession. Burkowski was offsides. It was clear as day to me. I, I'm like, okay, I must there must be something in the rules that I'm just not aware of. Or I don't I don't understand. It's getting hard to def- to define. And our friends at Nation Network, Oilers Nation Hockey Fight, all those Edmonton guys were were understandably freaking out on Twitter last night. Um, so again, if, if that's my team and that's how that, that's the swing of the game based on a call that's clearly looked outside to me. And then all of a sudden it's a two goal swing. Mm, that's tough to live with. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty upset if I'm them. Yeah. It, okay. This is directly from the rule book. I did a little digging. If during the course of the delayed offside, any member of the attacking team touches the puck attempts to gain possession of a loose puck forces the defending puck carried further back into his zone or who was about to make physical contact with the defending puck carrier, the linesman shall stop play for the offside violation. 
so what they're saying here is they're trying to argue that McCarr didn't have possession of the puck potentially, but if you want to argue that he's trying to gain possession, I don't know. It, it's a bad call. It's a bad call. It should have been offside. It, it, it's uh, I don't know. It, it was a bad call. It affects the game. Abs go up four to two. I don't know. Maybe the, it's hard to argue this. If I'm an Oilers fan, if I'm an Oilers coach, I'm sitting here shaking my head. What more do we need to do? We have clear video evidence that this is offside. So anyways, those are the breaks. Avalanche go up four to two. What does Wayne Gretzky say here, Tim? Cause you just, you, you got this quote, Wayne Gretzky, Mr. TNT, Mr. Charles Barkley, best friend. He's, he's the man. He's the TNT showcase guy. You put this on the agenda. What's he saying? This is after the first yeah. period. After the first period, so it's only 3-2 at this point, and he goes, you've got to play defense, man. <laughs> and it's such a loaded comment, too, because, I mean, this is the obviously the losing point scorer of all time. He's, he, I would have thought that he would love this kind of game, but he also has won multiple championships. He knows what it takes, and he didn't see much of, of that last night. So I think it was a, a good comment. He spoke for pretty much everyone, saying, like, hey, these goals are fun and exciting, but we got to tighten things up. we got to buckle down and – I'm guessing that's what both coaches said after the first intermission. I'm guessing that was their game plan for the next two periods, but it didn't really shake out that way, did it? No, it was just the beginning. It was just goal after goal after goal. Like I mentioned, Kadri gets the power play goal right at the start of the second period, 4-2. And this is where I think the Oilers have to think to themselves. They're sitting on the bench. It's like, let's go. We can't play defense. Our goaltender is terrible because even this goal, I understand it's a rebound goal. Mike Smith is nowhere to be found in the net. Absolutely gone. Completely out of the picture. Kadri picks up a, a, a greasy little rebound, puts the goal in. I don't think Edmonton, when he's playing this bad, wants to play defense because you saw it during this game. It's like, let's go. If you want to play this type of game, D is jumping in the rush. Nurse started getting in the rush. Keith started getting in the rush. Bouchard was leading the rush. The boys were going because they know their goaltender couldn't stop a beach ball. And they said, fine, you want to play this game? We're going to put up six or seven. That's our goal. And they went for it. Two minutes later, Edmonton responds. McLeod buries a rebound. Ugly goal by Kempfer. Ugly, ugly, ugly. It's, it's a harmless shot. Harmless shot from Nurse. It just drops beside him. And McLeod picks up a goal. This is a theme for Colorado this game. I know Edmonton scored six goals. Two of them, in my mind, were legit. That's all. Two of them. The one by Kane and then the final one by Nugent Hopkins. Every other goal, I think, was preventable or was a garbage goal by the goaltender. Every single one of them. Maybe the McDavid goal, but that one could be said should have been gotten out by Devin Taves. It, it was on his tape near the blue line. He should have gotten out of the zone. Every other goal was garbage except for those, the first and the last. I think those are the two legit goals. But boy, oh boy. Again, McLeod scores to make it 4-3. The answer back, Tim, you've played hockey. How hard is it when you put a goal in, you're feeling good, you go and sit down, you get a sip of that water bottle, and then you hear, then it's just like they've already answered back. It, it, It just sucks the life out of you. Can you explain that, Tim, for our listeners? Well, that's it, especially when you're playing in the in the other building and the fans are just going nuts. Well, you think you you think you've got a little bit of momentum. You're swinging things in the other direction, crawling your way back. And that's like that's Edmonton's problem. We were talking about that last night as well. It was like Colorado's got the sustained offense. They've got the sustained momentum. Edmonton kind of shows up in little burst of burst of offense and they got to capitalize on it. And so 
when they're when they're kind of playing on their heels a little bit, they get that goal. You think, okay, they, they might turn things around a little bit, and then all of a sudden, another goal coming back the other way. Like you said, the mark of a good team to be able to respond like that, and that's a tough that's a tough way to play if you're going to playing in one of the toughest buildings in the in the in the league. I think so. Yeah, and then it wasn't one; it was Rantanen, it was JT Comfort, Smith gets pulled, then it was Cogliano. All of a sudden, a four three game in a blink of an eye, less than ten minutes, it's a seven three game. It's 7-3. The second period's almost over. What happened to my life? What's going on? Up until that point, 27 or 29-97 have been invisible. I think the first period was the first time all playoff series, neither of them had a shot attempt. They didn't even attempt a shot on goal. It, it was it was un-McDavid-esque. He wasn't the same player he was in the series versus Calgary in the first period. Even in the second period. Didn't get that many chances, slow on the get-up. I don't know what was happening, but he wasn't the same guy in the previous series. He gets a goal right at the end of the second. Maybe that was something that he needed. He felt the puck. It was a beautiful feed from Giant Seidel. Like I said before, a little bit of a miscommunication by Colorado. McCarr takes a shot off the end step of his inseam of his foot. He's down. Devin Taves jumps over, picks the puck up. So they were at a position, two-on-one, Giant Seidel, beautiful pass. Beautiful pass over to McDavid. He finishes. So we're going into the third period. It's seven to four. We've been here before. Did you think there was any chance that there was going to be a comeback, Tim? Because in my mind, I'm like, Colorado's too good. There's no way they're going to come back. This is seven four. It's going to be eight four. It's going to be nine four. It'll be nine five. Colorado will put these guys away. What were your thoughts going into the third? Because it's three goal lead, and you're the Colorado Avalanche. Like, come on. Yeah, I I, I thought you know. Colorado would buckle down and say, okay, we got this game. We got a three goal lead. Let's, let's shut it down. Now the big question mark was, was Kemper already wasn't playing well. He's, he's out now with the injury. Frank Coos is in and it's hard to be a playoff goalie to come in cold in the middle of the game, especially against the McDavid's and dry titles and of those guys of the world. So that was the big question mark for me. It's like, okay, can he, can he be the one to shut it down? Can he settle this down? And he kind of looked a little shaky. He's a veteran goaltender. He's been here before. But like I said, it's hard to come in cold. And, and I think the, the Oilers knew that. And they certainly that was kind of their their approach in the third period was to, to get shots on net. And they they did it. And they, they scored a couple of goals there. And they made it interesting. And like we said earlier in the series, like everyone said, you can never count these Oilers out. They came back seven, five, seven, six, empty net. Oilers are pressing. Lana Scott gets the empty netter. Oilers win, or uh, Avalanche win. All is right in the world. Very exciting first round game. Okay, we we broke down all the goals. Very exciting. Let's break down the series now, Tim. Very similar to the first game versus Flames. Smith got pulled in the first game there. They went back to Smith game two. This time, Koskinen came in, and he played pretty good. He, he shut down the Avalanche. They threw a lot of pucks at him. Save percentage was 952. He gave up that one goal. Who do you go to in game two? If you're Jay Woodcroft, if you're the Edmonton Oilers, do you go back to Mike Smith or do you put Koskinen? Because when Koskinen came in versus the Flames, he still gave up three goals. It wasn't like he played good. This game he came in midway through the second period. He played pretty solid. He gave up one. But other than that, he he was a really good goaltender in there. Who do you, who do you put in that next game, Tim? I still go back to Smith. He's just been so good in this playoff series, this playoff season, and he's been able to bounce back. Um, 
I think you still expect that he's going to let in three or four goals. Uh, I don't think you're coming in asking to, to get a shot out like he's done a couple times so far, but I think we still go back to him unless you're, unless he really proves otherwise and, and, and doesn't prove the ability to bounce back, which he's done before. So I think they go back to Smith. And I think, I think uh, Woodcroft for sure will go back to Smith. I mean, I think he will. I don't know if he should. It, it seems to me that for whatever reason, and I don't want to downplay what Edmonton has done. They, they're in the Western Conference final. That's, that's a feat in itself. But Calgary wasn't the same team we saw during the regular season. For whatever reason, they didn't look like themselves in that series. And maybe that was because Edmonton really just made them look that way. And Edmonton played great. But gosh, for me, you, you can't go down 2 nothing to the Avalanche. And I don't think Mike Smith, he, he looks bad. And Mike's a friend of mine. He doesn't look good. Like when he does make a save, it almost looks like he was surprised it hit him or you know, he doesn't look like he's in position a lot and the goals that he gives up, he's completely out to lunch. So Koskinen looked good. And when he was on this regular season, Koskinen was the better goalie of the two. The reason Mike Smith got the net was because Koskinen didn't play that well. It's not because Mike Smith was playing lights out. I know Smith will get the net, I think Koskinen should get the net. I think Koskinen overall at this point, he's a bigger goalie. He moves around a little better. And he, Mike Smith just looks, he he looks shaky to me more often than not. And gosh, when you play the avalanche and if the avalanche are getting the secondary scoring that they're getting right now, you can't, you can't give up those chances. You can't give up one goal here, one goal there, and expect to win these games, especially when, like I mentioned, Cogliano's scoring, JT Comfer scoring, O'Connor's looking good, Newhook is looking really good for the Avalanche. That's their bottom bottom six. And if those guys are putting up three, four goals a game, you're in trouble because don't look now, Rantanen, Landeskog, Kadri, Lykanen, McKinnon, Nashushkin. Heads up. And I don't think you can just afford to give up a couple bad goals versus this Colorado team. They're not the, they're not the flames. They're better than the flames. I was wrong. I'll admit that the avalanche are the real deal. They are very, very, very dangerous. And if you're the Oilers, you cannot go down to nothing to these guys. You cannot give up one or two goals from a goaltender who, you know, I, you know, I feel good about this guy. I'm going to go with him just because he, he was good last series. I think you start Koskinen. He's your best goaltender at this point, and you have to give yourself the best chance to win, and that's with Koskinen. But they will go back to Smith. What is a loyal guy? Let's move over to the other crease, Tim. Darcy Kempfer, like I mentioned, no word yet. Nervous about Frank Coor? She, are, are there, is there concern there for the Avalanche? Frank Coos, um I'm doing it again. I don't know why. Who's, <laughs> was there a baseball player called Frank Coor? Yeah, Jeff Frank Coor. That's why. I really like that guy. <laughs> yeah, big fan. Um, yeah, no word yet. Uh, they asked him last night, they asked Bednar about Kemper's return. He said, we'll see, which is coach talk for I don't know yet. So um, I think Frank Coos is a pretty good goalie. And I think he's he's as good, at least, as as a Smith and a Koskinen. So I think I don't think they, they lose a ton in the goaltending by – by having him play, but of course they're a better team with Kemper in that. So that's something to keep an eye on. And I think, I think uh, McDavid and Drysdale would rather shoot on a, on a Frank Coos than a Kemper for sure. 
I gosh, I don't. Yeah, obviously, yeah, uh, he he did play good in Nashville. Kemper got hurt. He got hit in the eye. Frank Coos came in, played well that game, and then he played well the next game to close out the series. So he is a serviceable goalie. I, I don't think the goaltenders are going to play that much of a factor in this series. Like, I, I don't see a goalie stealing a game. I don't see a goaltender, you know, making a 50 save performance and having a 970 save percentage like we see with a Shashurskin or a Vasilevsky on the eastern side of the block here. It's going to be a up and down world-class talent this series is all about the the skaters that's that's it there is talent up and down this lineup for both teams there is talent on the back end it's just going to be who could who could put more pucks in the net it's it's a far cry from the 90s and the 2000s watching hockey where there was one good line everybody is good tim it's so incredible to watch this I it's, it's fun. It's fun. Hockey. It's eight to six. It's up and down. There's goal scoring. There's world-class play. The edge work on all these players is tremendous. Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid, their skating is so good. Just watch them. The directional changes, the speed changes, the, the, the bursts McKinnon's first goal. He had his first burst to get behind Dreinsidel. And then he picked it up again to go around nurse. And I was like, holy moly, the guy's got like four speeds. It's incredible. This is what is going to be this. This is what this series is going to be all about. Defense is not even going to be an issue. It's going to be goals. Every game will have 10 goals. Every game will be back and forth, up and down the ice. And I don't think the Edmonton Oilers can hang with the Avalanche, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. I, I do think, I don't want to bury the lead, so I'm not going to say it yet. But, yeah, it's going to be a fun series, right, Tim? We had a conversation yesterday because I don't know how to use that saying. And Tim's like, you're using it wrong. And, I, and I'm like, I but, think I know that. But I just don't know how to use it. So I'm just going to continue to say it. It's funny that it's just become your favorite saying in the last two weeks. You've never said it before. Now you say it every episode. I like Did you, it. like, read it in a book or something, and you're just like, okay, that's mine now. I think I did, or I heard it somewhere. I'm like, that's a good one. And I don't know how to use it. <laughs> but I'll figure it out one of these days. Did you, you put this quote on the agenda, Tim, Tim and I do an agenda. It's, it's nice. It keeps our thoughts in order. And you put, this is the same quote from two weeks ago, Jay Woodcroft, legit word for word after game one versus Calgary goes, we scored six goals on their goaltending tandem tonight in their building. That should be enough to win the game. For me, there are things we have to do in terms of prevention. Sometimes I think it's not about what you get. It's about what you've given up. And we gave up far too much tonight. I want to go back and see the quote that he had two weeks ago because it almost is word for word the exact same comment that he gave after the Flames game. He said, we scored six goals. That's enough goals to win the game. We got to do better in the back end. Blah, blah, blah. Same old, same old. But anyways, moving forward. The Oilers extended their streak for four goals a game in the playoff rounds. It's unheard of. It's amazing. They're an offensive juggernaut. They lead the NHL in goals scored. But guess what? They also lead the NHL in goals allowed this offseason, which is not a good stat to have. It's it's a fun team to watch, Tim, the others. It really is. They're, they're basically proving everything we thought they were in the uh, preseason. They're an offensive juggernaut, and they can't keep the puck out of the net. That's, that's who they are. They're the Edmonton Oilers. If they ever would figure out how to just play defense at all, they'd be a very dangerous team. Anything else in this first game, Tim, you want to touch on? No, other than I was just thinking as you're describing their, their style of play, I, I'm glad they're not my team. I don't know if I could watch 
this and, and be invested in these games like it's emotionally because it, it's exhausting. Because you yeah. you just know you can never count them out. It's like the the abusive girlfriend. It's like oh, I just love her so much. I know she she's gonna be good. She's gonna be good. She's gonna do it. And then it's just like ah, she's hitting me again. It's happening again. But then she's sweet and they're scoring goals. Just like don't. Oh, maybe it's not a good analogy. But you know, it's just what popped in my head. You know, what else pops in my head sometimes. DoorDash, ding dong. That's what pops in my head. I'll be sleeping. Ding dong. DoorDash because I'm hungry, Tim. And when you're hungry, you should use DoorDash because who likes to make food these days? Get your hands dirty. It's disgusting. All these germs. I heard if you make food, you have a higher probability of getting COVID. That's what I heard. So that's why you should use DoorDash. Save yourself some COVID drama. Use DoorDash. Get yourself some food wherever you want to get it. Wherever you like, you can have whatever you like. That's a good uh, TI song. I like that one. DoorDash should use that. But anyways, because it's true. Use DoorDash promo code GlovesDD if you're in Canada, GlovesDD US. If you're in the USA, get yourself some food, 25% off, free delivery. It's delicious. They love it. I love it. It's fantastic. You know what else I love, Tim? I mentioned it last show, my hummingbirds. And we got a nice tweet from a fan. A listener, I should say. I don't like saying fans. It sounds so posh, so like cliche. A listener, Simon Holland, tweeted out to us. He said, a lot of people think things slow down and get boring as you get older. Well, we had two hummingbirds at the feeder at the same time this morning, and I am still buzzing from the excitement. I get it, Simon. I totally get it. I like every time I'm in my little sunroom there, I'm just, my eyes are losing my, my eyes are glued on the hummingbird feeder. I just, and they're getting comfortable now. We've had it for four days and I've only seen one hummingbird on it, but he's getting comfortable before he would flutter and eat. Now he sits down in a little hook that they have the hummingbird heater feeder. So he sits his feet down. He relaxes a little bit. He takes a little dip, looks around, takes a little another dip, looks around. Then he flies away. I'm, I'm very, I'm all in on these hummingbird feeders. I made my own sugar water and I gave him a little more sugar. You don't want to give him too much and you make, you got to make sure you have the right sugar. It can't be cane sugar. Can't be brown sugar. Can't be any kind of, has to be white refined sugar or else the little tum tums of the hummingbirds get hurt. And you got to be aware of Tim. You don't want to give him stomach aches. You know, you, you just talked about something that, that reminded me of when I was a little kid. My I had four uncles on my mom's side. They used to always mess with me. And they would babysit me and stuff. They were all younger than my mom. They were like in their 20s when I was born. And uh, one time we were walking outside in my front yard. And there was, it turned, it was an apple core. It was like a brown, like apple core. It had been there a couple of days. It looked kind of like rotted and twisted and stuff, eaten. And, and I didn't know what it was. So I asked. I asked my uncle, like, what is that? And he goes, oh, no, it looks like someone turned a bird inside out. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and I thought, started crying. I thought someone literally turned a bird inside out. And that's what and you're looking at, like, the guts and stuff. Uh, took me years. Years later, I was like, wait a minute. I think that wasn't a bird. I think that was no. <laughs> uncle. Another funny story about my hummingbird. I don't want to. I'll, I'll piggyback off of yours. So we're in the kitchen. All of a sudden, you hear whack. And we're like, what? And a bird had hit the window right beside the hummingbird feeder. I'm like, oh, no, please don't be the hummingbird. Please, please, please. I will be distraught, devastated. My kids run over there like, there's a bird lying on the ground. It's a small one. There's a bird lying on the ground. Luckily, it was just a little sparrow or a chickadee. So it was fine. But, oh, man, like my heart sunk. I was like, I killed this hummingbird because I put a hummingbird feeder there. It just wasn't good. And I got a funny uncle story. That reminds me of something, too. My parents, we like, they like to have family gatherings. And I was like three or four and we're sitting in this party, hanging out. 
And my parents relaxed, you know, we let the good times roll back in the day. One of my uncles goes, maybe I've told this on the show. It's a little gross. So if you're, if you're squeamish, just turn the volume down for 25 seconds. So my wife will kill me if she knows I told this story. Anyway. So my uncle comes over. He's like, Hey, John, you like chocolate bars? I'm like, I do. I love chocolate bars. And we were poor. We didn't have much money. We were living in a trailer. So I, I didn't get chocolate bars that often. He's like, I, I, I left you a chocolate bar in the toilet. And I was like, what? Fantastic. No, and he, he had taken a deuce and he told me that it was a chocolate bar. And so I was no. three and I no. went over there and grabbed it. And I no. got running out of the room. I'm like, my, I don't know who f- saw it, but like someone rightfully so freaked out, grabbed the, I don't know what ha- I was only three, but apparently I really got a, you know, a, a grip on that thing. And I was upset that they were taking my chocolate bar away. And I, I don't even know if I took a bite of it. I pr- I'm assuming I did, but yeah, that's, <sighs> that's my uncle's type of joke. There's a chocolate bar in the toilet, like just disgusting, disgusting stuff. Anyways. What's not disgusting is the Rangers and Canes <laughs> game seven. <laughs> we, <laughs> so we finally got a game seven. Going back to Carolina. My keys for the game were whoever scores most power play goals will win. And it's going to come down to the star players. I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. The Rangers get a power play right off the bat. They get another power play goal. Their stars, their stars produced. Zabinajad three assists. Kreider gets a couple goals. Cop goal and assist. Fox goal and assist. Shesterkin, their best player, their Hart Trophy candidate. 949 save percentage, 37 to 39 shots saved. Completely lights out. Robbed the Hurricanes of many, many, many grade A chances. Like I'm talking, there's no business he should be making this save, and he's making the save. The guy is unbelievable. The Rangers win. Carolina Hurricanes choke. Their star players couldn't produce. Teravinen, Aho, Shesterkin, all of them, dash two, dash one, dash three. It was a complete just meltdown. Uh, what's What happened? Auntie Ranta leaves the game. The backup comes in, gives up goals. It was just – it was a mess from start to finish for the Carolina Hurricanes. I wanted to touch on – is there anything else you want to touch on just briefly? Because there's one play I want to touch on. And it's to me, it is the reason the Rangers could potentially beat the Tampa Bay Lightning. Anything else, Tim? No, let's get into that. So the key for me for the New York Rangers is, is Jacob Truba. And you might think, oh, he doesn't get many points. He, he does, you know, he's not a very offensive player. He does pick up a couple points here and there. He single-handedly won the Rangers two games versus the Carolina Hurricanes. And in my eyes, he won them the series versus the Penguins. In the first series versus the Penguins, he hits Crosby. A very, you know, innocuous-looking play. They collide. Crosby goes down concussion. He misses the rest of that game in the next game. Rangers come back in the series. Crosby's not his same self. Rangers win that series coming down from 3-1. All because Truba knocks out Crosby. In this series versus the Carolina Hurricanes, Rangers are the underdog. They're down two to one. It's game four, zero, zero. They're chasing the game. He stands up and buries Max Domi in the neutral zone. Lorenz jumps him, gets a two of five and a 10. Rangers scoring the power play, completely changes the whole game. They go on to win that game, tied 2 2. Game seven, same type situation. Very close game. It's a one nothing game. Canes are pressuring, pressuring. They have a power play. Truba absolutely drops the bomb on Seth Jarvis. Like, I'm talking clean hit, shoulder through the body. Jarvis is in la-la land. He goes to the bench and, like, 
passes out behind the bench. Like he's done. The medical staff come over. They don't know what's going on because of the confusion. Two guys jump on for Seth Jarvis. Carolina gets a too many men on the ice power play, or penalty. Rangers score on that power play to go go up two nothing. That's all she wrote. Rangers win that way and go win that game going away, and it's all because of Jacob Truba. He has done it all season long. You remember the hits he had during the regular season? He buried uh, Jujar Kahara. He buried McKinnon, I believe, at one point. He does this consistently. This is his mo, and he's only stepped it up in the playoffs. He could be the reason why the Rangers win this Stanley Cup. And I know that's saying a lot. He is the only defenseman left in today's game of these four teams, I should say, of these four teams who I think other players are nervous of. When you're going through the neutral zone, when you're winding it up, when you're entering the offensive zone, when you're cutting across the blue line, trying to buy some time, maybe do a drop pass, there's no other player on any other team who I'm nervous about. Can you think of one, Tim, that's going to bury you, that's going to make you pay? Maybe a Josh Manson, but he doesn't really lay those big checks. He's more of an in-the-corner type of guy. Is there anybody that comes to mind? Only Hedman, but he's he's too responsible to put himself out of position sometimes. A trooper sometimes does. So I don't think he's laying those type of open eyes hits anymore. Yeah, looking forward to the Tampa Bay Lightning series, there's a couple keys. The keys are obviously the goaltenders. We all know that. It, it's the marquee matchup. It's two lights out, first ballot Hall of Famer potential goaltenders, Hart Trophy winners, Vesna winners. Like, they're great. They're, they're the stars of the show. To me, the bigger thing is, can Jacob Truba put some fear in the Tampa Bay Lightning forwards? Because we saw the last defenseman to do it was Scott Stevens. Everybody knows what Scott Stevens did that playoff round. He buried everybody and anybody who stepped over his blue line. He was a heat-seeking missile. Everybody remembers the Paul Korea hit where he's got the fog on the windshield. The guy was an absolute killer. He made forwards think when they were entering that zone. They, they looked up to see which defenseman were on the ice, and that's Jacob Truba now. All his hits are clean. All his hits are perfectly timed, and all his hits are devastating. If he continues this play and he puts somebody in a body bag in the first or second game on Tampa Bay, the Rangers could win the series. He is the X factor for the Rangers right now. We know they have good forwards. We know this. Lafreniere is playing well. Heedle is playing really well. I, I like how he's progressed his game. Kako's playing good. They have they have the supplementary scoring. They can match Tampa Bay, I think, in goal scoring. I, I'm not worried about that. It's Jacob Truba. Can he instill fear in Kucherov, Stamkos, Point, Kalorn, these guys? If he can, holy moly. We could be looking at a Rangers Stanley Cup final with uh, the Avs. It, it, it could be a huge upset because right now everybody, myself included, is saying Tampa Bay's sitting there. They're ready. They're licking their chops. Don't count out these Rangers. They're the higher seed for the reason. They beat Tampa Bay in the regular season, three rip. They swept them. I know the games were in January and December, and the last one was in March. They still know how to play versus Tampa Bay. The two pickups they had at the deadline, Vetrano and Cop. In my mind, the two best pickups so far to date. I know Paul has played well. I know Hagel's played well. Those two guys are such key parts of the Rangers that it's it's hard to argue that they're not the best pickups at the deadline. The Rangers are a hard out. They're a hard out. Carolina was a good team. The Rangers beat them. Pittsburgh was a good team. The Rangers beat them. Tampa Bay obviously gets through Toronto and Florida themselves. It's going to be a good Eastern Conference final. It, what are your keys 
to this Eastern Conference matchup, Tim, other than the goaltenders? Because we know that. Is there certain guys or players that you want to see? What will be interesting is also Barclay Goudreau getting to play his former team, two Stanley Cups with Tampa Bay, coming back to meet these guys in the Eastern Conference final. He's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's going to want to maybe give him a little bit of a hard time after the whistle during between the whistles. Like he's a, he's a impact player for the Rangers. Now. I think, I think the, the big question mark for me is the Rangers really have to play. They haven't played a starting goaltender yet um, in the playoffs. They played Tristan Yari for one game, but for the most part, it was the Smith. And then round two, it was Ranta and even Kochekov in that, in that last game when Ranta got hurt. So they haven't really been challenged. Not that I say these guys aren't legit goaltenders. They're NHL caliber goaltenders for sure. But they haven't played a, a top of the top goaltender yet, and now they got to play arguably the best one. And Vasilevsky hasn't quite looked like himself. I wouldn't be careful saying that he's, he's played really well, but he hasn't been his best that we've seen in years past. Um, he's looked a little bit more human, just a little bit. Um, and so, but he's still Vasilevsky. So the Rangers are going to be going from one end of the of the spectrum to another when it comes to these playoff goaltending, and I think that's going to be a challenge that. They, you know, their offense is there. You know, Panarin's advantage edge of the world will will get theirs, but that's a that's a big question I have is how how they adjust to going from those type of goaltenders to you know the best in the world. Agreed. I think if the Rangers win this series, it's because Truba is a, is a, just a beast back there. Their power play has to continue to be hot. They got to get one power play goal a game at least to compete in this series, and Shesterkin has to match, if not play better than Vasilevsky. Those are not a tall order. That's not a tall task. They've been doing it consistently throughout this playoffs. So if they continue to do those things, I, I, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if the Rangers win this series. Yeah, I want to ask about, when you're talk, talking about Truba, the impact that he can have, obviously you personally are bigger than just about everyone out there, but do you remember times when your teammates or other forwards in your in your team were sort of nervous or talking about like hey you got to watch out for this guy out there because it's changing their game just by his presence on the ice like the, what what is the mindset of those players well yeah you, you, like you said it changes your aggressiveness when when you know there's a defenseman on the ice who could blow you up who could like put you on the IR for weeks and months it, it changes your your mindset going into the zone you have your head up a little bit more. You're not moving your feet as fast as maybe you should. You're hesitating. Maybe you're dumping it in more often than you usually would. And there was defensemen out there who did, like, a Roman Polak was a prime example. He was just a big-body defenseman who took tons of chances. He tried to run you whenever he could. He didn't care if he got beat wide. He didn't care if he gave up a two-on-one. The guy would try to blast you through the boards every time you are on the ice. So the guys knew that. Like a, a, a Chris Pronger. You know, there were plenty of defensemen out there. Andy Sutton, friend of the show. Friend of the show, Andy Sutton. Andy would just murder guys. So I I know there is not as many of those guys out there these days, but it does change how you play the game. Much like if there's a tough guy on the ice, you second-guess yourself a little bit. So I, I think the Rangers have that with Truba. They have it with Ryan Reeves. And to a lesser extent, Barkley Goudreau. But Tampa has that too. Pat Maroon, he's been known to get in there a little bit, but I think um, Svechnikov is a good little head. Not Svechnikov. Uh, what's his name? Gosh, got him from Montreal. Russian Sergeyev. Sergeyev. He can blow guys up too. Not as much as Truba, but I think it's important to have that on the back end. You can't just give forwards free reign to enter the zone whenever they want without that fear factor. You have to be scared that you're going to get blown up. You can't cut to the middle. You have to keep it wide. You can't just 
always turn up and do this sweet little drop pass. You have to have that fear factor. Char would bury guys sometimes. You you need that. You need that Cronwall type of player to just instill fear. Gosh, Cronwall was the guy when I played, I think. Guys were just – when you played Detroit, you always, you always knew. Guys would be watching him from the bench saying, ah, heads up, Cronwall's come. Like you knew when he was on the ice. Sorry. We got that out of the way. Let's get into some predictions, Tim. Points bet. Let's do it. We got one game tonight, and then we'll do our series predictions. Let me do a recap of last last series, though, because I've been keeping tabs. <laughs> Tim and uh, I have a friendly little competition. So last last round, I took Tampa Bay, Colorado, New York, and the Flames. Tim took Florida, Colorado, the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Calgary Flames. Tim went one and three last round. I went three and one. Just going to leave that there. Overall, Tim is 500, six and six. Not good, Tim. For a hockey analyst, for an insider, you're inside most of these teams. You know the ins and outs, the making, the inner workings, the stuff most people don't know about. You're six and six. Yeah, but I'm also, I'm I'm making the riskier picks. I'm making, I'm producing good radio. Like I, I had a lot of upsets in the first two rounds. Trying to trying to be more interesting, and teams that like the Penguins, for example, I thought for sure the Penguins, I thought for sure the Kings didn't turn out right. But you you making the easy safe picks, and then you pick the favorite every single time, and then you brag about being right. Is that is that is that what we're doing here? False. Were the Rangers the favorite against who? The Kings. Uh, mm, pretty quiet. No, pretty but you also said. You can't pick a, a four and a five and, and call that a, an upset or a favorite because they're basically a wash. You you made that very clear. It's not a good look right now, Tim. It's not a good look, what, what you're doing right now. Just accept it, okay? Tim's 500. I'm nine and three. That's nine wins, three losses. So I'm just saying. I'm, I'm looking pretty good. So we're moving into the third round. We got Tampa Bay versus New York. We got Colorado versus Edmonton. I've already made my picks. I took the favorites. I think it's a no-brainer. I took Tampa Bay and Colorado. I think they're earmarked for the Stanley Cup final. Who do you got, Tim? Just for the Stanley Cup finals. We're not even talking about game one, Rangers, Tampa Bay yet. Yeah, same. Same. It's a boring pick, but yeah. It's, It's the logical pick. Sometimes boring is okay. Now let's move on to tonight and tomorrow night. We got game one, Eastern Conference Finals, Rangers, Tampa Bay in New York. New York is the home team here. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go Tampa Bay tonight. Tampa Bay. I agree. I think the Rangers will win game two, much like I think Edmonton wins games two. Next game. So I'm going to go the, the same thing. I'm going Tampa Bay game one. And then who do you got tomorrow night? Colorado, Edmonton. Edmonton. I like them to tie it up. We're just twinning. We're twinning. I think Edmonton yeah. will tie it up as well. I think they'll play better. They'll play a little more responsible defensively. And I'm not sure about the goaltenders, Tim. That, that's the big wild card. It's going to be whatever goaltender can cobble together at 850 save percentage and win this series. All right, everybody. We will talk to you on Friday, break down some more hockey stuff, talk about hummingbirds, and just have a gay old time. All right. Have yourself a good Wednesday. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.